Mama, I got bad news, bad news. I've been rolling with some bad dudes, bad dudes. I've been trying to get a bag to, a bag to. I'm just doing what Hello, I listeners. To. Welcome to the Ashes to Awesome podcast, Rising in Recovery. A podcast providing light, hope, and understanding about addiction and mental health to those living within that life and the people who love them. This episode is brought to you by Diamond Life Academy, helping men and women reinvent themselves through transformational change. Learn more at thediamondlife.ca. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a, another edition of the Weekend Ramble on the Ashes to Awesome podcast. Today, I am joined by my usual co-host, Lisa101. How are you doing today, Lisa? I'm very good, Chuck. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. Our other co-host or host, depending on the weekend, Carl, is... Uh, He's away again this weekend, but we do have a special guest, Joseph Fourier from episodes 94 and 95, I do believe. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where he came on to do a Memorial Monday for his son Harlan and um, uh, the following day for the Tuesday to come on and tell us kind of a, more about his journey in uh, from, the, what is it, from the ashes of addiction into the awesomeness of recovery. So welcome back to the show, Joseph. How are you doing? Uh well, I'm I'm here. People ask me how I'm doing, and sometimes I just say <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, it's it's been a whirlwind. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, been a whirlwind week. Um, trying to uh, deal with grief, and then at the same time look after my recovery, and then um, finding myself in this new role of uh, trying to bring awareness to what's happening in our communities. So it's it's been uh, it's a it's, lot. It's, it's, it's yeah, yeah. And then my regular life, I have I do have a regular uh, life too. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, just just for well, refresh my memory. How long has it been now? It just it seems like well, a uh, lifetime ago, but you know, there's a lot going on in our lives. How long ago was it that Joseph passed, or that um, Harlan passed? Sorry. Well, it's two months. Um, we're heading in that two months. It's the week now of two months. Uh, okay. Uh, this okay, is the so week where he was yeah, he was yeah. discovered, and then the week process up leading up to his death, where we eventually took him off life support. Okay, this this okay. is the week. Okay. Well, I'm I'm so sorry for that, Joseph. Um, you're gonna have these anniversaries coming up. You know, I, I don't even know when how a person counts those. There's the, you know the week of, the day of, the month of the. You know, that's nah, I yes. can't begin to imagine, man. So my my heart aches for you all, all the time. You know, and I do think about you quite a bit. Um, what you're doing with some of that pain? You want to talk about that and uh, uh, campaign? Yeah, what I what we decided when we when we first got into this and, and looking more into Harlan and you know sometimes you don't know much about your child when they become adults and and but I knew he was a good kid, you know. Um, he was my champion. He. Mm-hmm. Um, when his father was in full addiction, he was he was the one there all the time, never waving a finger, always encouraging me, driving me, driving half a way across the country to pick me up to make sure that I got a treatment bed and went here back home. And right. sorry, so when I got the call that uh, he was being rushed to the hospital by overdose, it, it was quite a shock. Um, because what do no you mean kidding. overdose? You know, he doesn't even do drugs. And then, uh, sure enough, it was confirmed. And after talking with his friends and his coworkers and his boss from his regular crew, because he was just, he just went up north to go help his sister's uh, husband has a roofing company. My son was a master roofer, 
and uh, he went up there that weekend just to help them uh, with their move. So he was working with a different crew and everything. And they went out that night and uh, one of them bought something that uh, they believed to be ecstasy and uh, convinced my son, you know, um, to try it. Now, I, I don't know, because normally from what I heard from his other co-workers and his boss that <clears throat> whenever they went out for beers and stuff, like, I'm not going to lie, my son liked to have a beer. Whenever the drugs came out, he would always say, you know, no, thanks, I'm good. You know, and, that, and so they were even shocked to hear that what had happened to Harlan. So somewhere along that night, um, whether it be peer pressure or whether it be trying to just fit in with a new crew, you know, he said yes. And that yes killed him. So taking with what he, I'd learned about what he had always said and believing in my heart, you know, because he knew what opiates did to his father, you know, that if he knew it was an opiate that they were offering him, he would have said, no, thanks, I'm good. So with those words uh, of Harlan's, we've, we've initiated a campaign targeted at, uh, at youth, young people, um, that demographic that's, that's, that's not included much in, in, in the opiate crisis, you know, because it's always focused on the addict and, and uh, addiction. I, I yeah, took this yeah, yeah. and targeted towards the youth to just get them to say, no, thanks. I'm good when it comes to recreational drug use, because we don't think of opiates as a recreational drug. Um, it's a drug that, you know, is usually linked to addiction or, or pain medicine or whatever. So we're targeting that group of people and, and trying to get them, you know, aware of, of rec what what's in recreational drugs today is and, and that they're putting fentanyl in everything. And and that's what killed my son. Um, so we're, we're, I've got support of leadership here in Manitoba, you know, the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs, uh, okay. which is the uh, organization that looks after or speaks for all the reserves across Manitoba. Uh, MKO, um, I okay. really have a hard time saying that, so we'll just say MKO, uh, and they're the Northern Chiefs, and he, enough, was yeah, from, yeah, he, yeah. he was from Northern Manitoba, so they come along board, and they've you know, pretty much given me the funding and the, the political support to have this walk to raise awareness uh, to the dangers of recreational drug use today. <laughs> okay, so tomorrow, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, so no, 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 I was, I was getting there. So. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so tomorrow, uh, June 25th, we will uh, be having a major walk here in Winnipeg, um, starting from the Forks, uh, which is our traditional gathering place, meeting place for thousands of years. Okay. And uh, okay. gathering there, having a drum song, elders prayer, and then walking to the legislative building. Uh, where we will All right. be having a rally, you know, to to bring awareness, to to you know, talk about um, the dangers of recreational drug use, and that hopefully that we can get the no thanks campaign, no thanks I'm good campaign, you know, officially up and running, so that it becomes one of the major campaigns, uh, uh, bringing awareness to the dangers of recreational drug use and its links to fentanyl. Fentanyl right. poisoning. Right. Like, I mean, I'm calling it what it is. Fent my son died of fentanyl poisoning. My son didn't die from an overdose. He was poisoned. You're right. You're right. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think anybody, I, I don't think anybody would try and argue that, you know, so. Um, it's so different than it was. So 
I've talked quite a bit about this with, you know, other people that are involved with the show and, and other people in advocacy and that, and, and, you know, because your name does come up a lot, Joe, you're, you're one of our more um, spoken about guests anyway. Right. And it, the no thanks I'm good is, is like, are we going back to the, to the uh, just say no days and kind of has that ring, but it's different this time. It actually means something. Right. But so when, you know, when we were kids and we went through those just say no shit, it was a war on drugs. It was an extension of that. And we know the war on drugs does nothing. Right. So yeah. we know, we know it's been ineffective. It's been bullshit. Right. And it's, it's just for years now we've gone that. So, and you say, no, thanks. I'm good. Was well, that just say no? It's like, no, it's not. Because back then they were, you know, telling us that, you know, don't smoke weed or your life's going to be over kind of thing. And, and it wasn't the case. And you could experiment a little bit when we were kids, but you can't anymore. You just can't. No, right. And I mean, was Lisa, you know, the whole, yeah. this is your, this is your brain on drugs, right? Um, yeah, like yeah, Chuck yeah. and I are very similar age. And I mean, I remember the same thing. And I think it was just this general blanket statement that, you know, drugs are evil um, and, and they're going to fry your brain. But yeah, I think yeah, right. that the campaign that Joseph is talking about now to me is there's so much more evidence behind the need for this campaign. Um, and my hope is that kids will hear it very differently than what we heard, uh, you know, just say no back in the day, because I yeah, think right. you yeah. can speak to the evidence for the need to say no thanks now. And, and that's... the reality is, sorry, if, if I might, Joe, for a minute, yeah. the reality of the, it is now that a lot of the kids that are going to hear this, no thanks, I'm good know somebody or have already lost, like know somebody who has, or have already lost somebody. Right. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, maybe this just rings differently. And I sure, I sure hope it does, you know? Right. And, and it, yeah. sorry, Joe, what you were going to say? Yeah, something. No, this yeah. is, this was the whole concept when, when I was, when I was thinking of, cause I, I grew up in that say no, no, just say no. Yeah. And, right. And, yeah. And, yeah. The dare the thing. Whole, like, like, come on. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, the whole war on drugs, it was evil and just say no was a hard no. And it was judgmental and waving a finger at the person who would maybe be offering you. My son Harlan was a very polite man. He was, he was okay. elegant. Yeah. He was loving. He was, and, and he, you know, so by him saying, no, thanks, I'm good. It was a polite way of decline. No, thanks. I'm good. You know, you, you do what you need to do, but I, I'm good. And and I think adding mm -hmm. that I'm good to the end of it will mm -hmm. empower the youth to say, to not feel less than, you know, by saying no and, and not feeling mm -hmm. like they're missing out by saying no. Yeah. This is no thanks. No, thank you. I'm good, which means I'm good with myself. I'm good with my choice and I'm good with not doing what you're doing. Not that I'm going to blame you or judge you for doing what you're doing. But for me, no thanks. I'm good. And that's that's I, what I, I like want how to you're give you. I do. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so when we uh, go ahead. Uh, no, the go question ahead, I, I want to ask to that then, and and I'm I, I'm not being a naysayer in any way, shape, or form. No. You know, Joe, that I support you 100. percent So, um, uh, how do you how do you make that clear in a poster, or how do you, or in a in a in a sentence, right? How do you how do you differentiate it so that we don't so that they don't hear what we did because what we heard was bullshit right what did you think about it once the first time you went to go try anything did you ever think about those campaigns of course not. none of us did right no how do I we mean, do that how do we word it how do we make it different you know well we make it different by bringing awareness to fentanyl we, we make it different by 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. making yeah. the awareness yeah. Of, yeah. of the dangers today and what's happening in our streets um, so, I mean, the, the following sentence okay. in that, no thanks, I'm good, 
is fentanyl poisoning is in everything. You know, and we're getting more and more okay. evidence on a yeah. daily that the recreational drugs today, like the Molly, the Xanax, the 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 ecstasy, you know, all these were that considered party drugs and were were normal, you know, at raves and you know back in the nineties and all that mm -hmm. stuff, aren't safe anymore. You know, so we're not we're not targeting the drugs. If if I have friends who smoke marijuana, you know, I say please, please buy your buy your weed at a dispensary. Because yeah, right. You know right. they're right. already putting fentanyl in marijuana, and I'm not just saying that to smoke all scare all the weed. That that's evidence. I have my wife's friend lost her son, who you know was using marijuana just a, as a, a relaxation at night because he suffered from anxiety, and he was buying his his weed from the street, and yep. he was from somebody he knew. And one night he he did his regular dose before he went to bed and never woke up in the morning. You know, so it's it's not that we're attacking right. the drugs itself. It, it's we're we're trying to bring awareness that fentanyl is being used in everything now that we thought were recreational drugs. You know, there's so much fentanyl out, wow. out there right now that that the regular opiate addict can't consume it all. You know, so the the supply yeah. is so extensive, yeah. so that they're finding ways now to make a profit off what they have. So anybody with a pill presser, with a dye, you know, is changing it and shaping it and then putting it out there. Oh, this is fentanyl. This is this is ecstasy. You know, this is such and such. Yeah. This is such yeah. and such. And as an opiate addict, recovering opiate addict, if I'm going to buy fentanyl, if I'm going to buy heroin, I know what I'm getting. And I know how yeah. to dose myself. And I know the precautions yeah. to have at hand in case anything goes wrong. But if I'm buying an aspirin and not expecting fentanyl, and I've never done fentanyl, I've never done an opiate, then I have absolutely no tolerance to it. So what might give me as yeah, an opiate right. a user, you know, the buzz that I'm looking for could kill the non-opiate user. And that's what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no tolerance to it. There's no, you know, ah. It's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. So I'm hoping, um, you know. <clears throat> hmm. Go ahead, Lisa. Yeah. I, like, I love your question because I think that's something I think about all the time, right? Is like, how do we make the message hit? How do we get the message to stick, right? Um, and I do agree. I think that it comes down to stories. I think it needs, there needs to be stories to it. Like if I think back again to when I was a kid, I remember the commercials and the eggs frying in the pan and whatever. Um, I didn't, I knew people who did drugs as a teenager. I didn't know anybody who had died, who had overdosed, like none of that. Right. I just knew people who partied and they looked like they're having a good time, but the commercials told me they were frying their brain. And that was like the extent <laughs> of it. But I think today people are, <laughs> right. right? But it's like yeah. people are dying, right? And people are dying, like you said, who thought that they were doing ecstasy. They're dying. People who think they're buying weed, they're dying. Um, and I have to say, if I think back to when I was a kid, would that have been scarier to me? Like it would have. But I think the like there needs to be that add-on of these stories. People need to hear the stories, right? And that's where I think it's it's yeah. advocacy, it's campaigns it's going into schools it's telling personal stories and making it clear that these are people who have been poisoned right these are not people who are addicted and shooting ivy heroin um 
<clears throat> you know, and because all of a sudden, I think to a kid, it's like, okay, well, that could be me. I could have been the one at the party thinking I was doing ecstasy. Um, but for me back in the day, it was like, well, I wasn't, you know, a kid sitting on a, you know, sleeping in a stairwell and, and, you know, doing drugs on a, on a city bench somewhere. So I felt like those commercials didn't apply to me. Um, mm -hmm. Today, these things apply to every kid who's going to go to a party and thinks he's going to do something for an extra good time. Right. And I'm oh, glad you raised that point. Lisa. Know. You know, I, I'm really glad that you raised that point about the stories because here's, here's what I found happened once I went public is that I had close to hundreds of, of inbox messages from parents who had lost their child, lost their cousin, lost their nephew, lost, lost somebody. But when we use the word overdose, okay, that carpet of overdose, mm -hmm. it, it, to the survivor, it brings guilt, it brings shame, and it brings embarrassment, you know, um, that, that our child could, could do that, you know, do drugs. And, and it, it, that whole stigmatization of the word overdose. And, and what I'm trying to do is, is tell, you know, parents and people who have lost to come and tell their stories tell their stories because that's where the change is going to be. And that's where the destigmatization will happen. You know, the more we know about what's happening and let's, let's call it what it is, fentanyl poisoning, mm -hmm. you know, because absolutely, we, yeah. we seem to, 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 to sweep everything under this overdose rug. And I don't know if it's a societal thing because we, you know, it, it kind of, uh, dehumanizes the person that died well it was their life choice whether they're you know they chose that lifestyle and and you know i you know i felt sorry for them i had so many people come up to me and say it must be really hard to lose a son to addiction well my son wasn't an addict mm. you know so that's yeah. part yeah. of of the movement is the destigmatization of the word overdose and i want to call it what it is fentanyl poisoning you know our numbers came yeah. out last yeah. year 367 deaths Overdose. That's all they said. Overdose. Well, next year, my son is, is that going for to be Manitoba, just for Manitoba. You know, we're a small province. That's, okay. that's okay. a lot. Yeah. And it's been steadily crying. It, it yeah, I, 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 I don't mean to indicate differently. I just, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. And it's steadily okay. climbing. And next and year, my, my son yeah. is going to be included in those numbers as overdose. Mm. Well, I'm trying to change that. You know, those yeah. numbers don't yeah. tell us how many were and, one and you done. Know what? I'll, I'll be honest with you, Joe. Um, no, they don't. They don't. And, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, when you had first mentioned that, because I think you might have been our first poisoning Memorial Monday. You might have been. Um, and I if think I'm was, wrong about yeah. that. I'm sorry to whomever. Yeah, I think you might have mentioned to, it. Yeah. You know, get that. Yeah. So since then, we've had a few. Um, it's certainly become more of a, a thing. I hate that. Um, anyway. Um, as you know, as, as an addict myself, right, or, or somebody who has suffered an addiction, I should say, um, we've words matter, as, right? yeah. but um, there's a certain amount of you know, you get kind of you take that back for a second. It's like, hey, wait a minute, well, what's so what if I what if I'm an addict, right? And as I've done these memorial episodes, that's something that you know, I, I just decided one day, well, it's not a slight against me, it's something they're saying about their son, it's got nothing to do with me or their daughter or whatever, right? And the end of the day there is a big difference there's a lot of anger that goes around a poisoning that that you know 
I could make a pretty solid argument and, and based on some of the things that Lisa's taught us, uh, that a person in addiction isn't choosing anything, right? And I'm sure you could you could do the same, but it's a result of their actions for sure, right? Like a, of a chosen action, you know, or you know, a, a deliberate action maybe. So yeah, there is a different level of anger there. And, and for myself personally, and, and I guess the reason I want to bring this up is I, I kind of ramble and circle back to it here, is that for anybody that's listening that might take exception to that, well, my son wasn't an addict or whatever. It, again, it's it's not about that. It's about that person. And it's about people dying that are just doing it once, you know, and uh, I don't know. Lisa, do you yeah. want to jump in and save me here? Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> need to be saved but I think um I think because I was actually thinking like just as you started to talk I was having similar thoughts and for me it's like mm-hmm. when somebody who suffers with opiate addiction dies of overdose yeah it's still not okay that's still no, not no. acceptable no. it's still devastating Um, However, one of the things I do think is different, um, because, uh, you know, to me, someone who dies who is living active addiction, that's not more okay than someone who dies of a poisoning. Absolutely not. One of the things I I see as different, though, right, is I think that when it comes to trying to reduce the number of people who even start experimenting with these kinds of things, I think that the message that you can't experiment, um, that message is going to hit a broader group of, of, say, kids. I mean, it's not just kids that we're targeting. But again, like when I was a kid, I was like, well, my brain's not going to fry in drugs because I'm not someone with addiction sleeping in a stairwell. And I think what this campaign is about is that you don't need to be someone living in addiction. You don't need to have lost your life and be in the despair of addiction. The point is, is you can be a kid who's never done drugs, who decides you're going to go to a party one night with a friend and do something you think is relatively benign and you could die. Absolutely. And And so that's where, you know, it's, it's not that one death is more okay than the other, but I think that that campaign reaches people um, who would otherwise, like if it's just addiction, people would say, well, I don't have addiction, so I don't need to care about this campaign. And the campaign is literally trying to take that entire premise away that you do need to care about it. And I'm glad that you, you raised those points because, you know, I, I do not want to belittle or, or take away you know, the problems that, that we have in, in addiction with the opioid crisis by, by no means at all. And in my, in my thinking and my premise, well, if we can't do anything about the supply right now, then let's try and do something about the demand. And if I can reach that, that demographic of, of people that, that, like you said, are thinking about it or experimenting about it and, and get the word out that it's not even safe to cross that line anymore. You know, and, and then hopefully, yes, we need lots of work when it comes to to helping, you know, our people that are suffering from addictions. God knows I suffered with addiction for 40 years before I finally was able to get some help. And I've only been clean for four years, you know. So I know that, you know, and I've lost friends and, and that that are not just not, you know, over, overdosed. I'm not trying to take away the significance of those deaths. And when you talked about the shame and when, when somebody is poisoned, yes, there's an anger, but there's one thing that I've learned about anger in my, in my recovery is that anger is not set to destroy. Anger is a motivator to create change. So when you asked me, Chris, earlier, how I'm doing, well, I'm angry, 
but I can't go back yeah. down that rabbit hole again that I, you know, it took me four years to climb out of. So I'm using this anger and motivating myself as painful as it is to create the change that there's that gap in our system and, and hopefully bring awareness around mm-hmm. so that no other mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, niece, nephew, cousin have to feel this, you know? And, and yeah. yes, the empathy yeah. and the understanding for the addict still needs to remain there and if not higher, but for this group yeah. of people who just like Lisa said, well, I'm not an addict, you know, I'm, my brain is not going to fry in a frying pan. I'm going to try this. You know, they tell me I can have a good time. <laughs> I'm trying to say, please don't say, no, thanks. I'm good because you are good the way you are, yeah. you know? That and you don't need to try that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. your chances of are higher now of dying than they were twenty years ago. Yeah. So I'm hoping yeah. that's yeah. the you well know said. the message well to said. get that so, to stick that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I do. I I mean, th- there's other things that we we definitely want to talk about in the show here, Joe. So, yeah. um. I don't want to move past this without making sure that we've given it its due because it, it is, it's a big deal. Right. And so I want to give you the opportunity now to, to kind of speak to that before we move on to the next segment. And is there anything else that you, you really want to well, hammer home you know, about this or, or Lisa for that matter, is there anything you want to say? No. Well, I'm hoping people out there listening, you know, pick up the yeah. campaign, have those awareness mm-hmm. walks in your own community. You know, feel free to use the slogan, yeah. no thanks, I'm good. You know, let's get this word out there. Somebody, you know, you, you Chris knows how to get a hold of me. You know, if you, if you want to get a hold of me to talk, um, to see how we can initiate these kinds of awareness walks or programs in your community, um, mm-hmm. we, we, need, we need to start saying this now. We need to come together as a community of people because we can't yeah. expect our legislators to make the changes. We can't expect the authorities to make the changes. The changes have to come from us, the community grass levels and tell your loved one stories, you know, speak of them, you yeah. know, um, yeah. share and let's lose the stigmatization of the word overdose and let's start calling what it is that's happening yeah. out in our country right now. And people are being, <laughs> he, he agrees with me um, uh, <laughs> uh, and let's start calling she mentioned ahead is. of time she was worried about that so <laughs> yeah uh, you know fentanyl mm-hmm. poisoning and let's let's call it what it is you know let's 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 call it out and call yeah. it fentanyl yeah. poisoning and recreational drug absolutely is, is safe no no it's just not that's that's the reality we live in now and you know that's that's the way it's got to be so um before we move on to critiquing the week or the critique of the week, I just like the way that sounds for some reason. Um, I, I do want to do, and I'm not going to play a commercial this time for it. I, I'm, I'm going to speak to it real quick. Um, my sponsor, deadkits.com. So, um, oh my God, a bird just, oh, that's horrible. There's a bird like dying outside the window now because it just thumped the window. Oh. <laughs> so is, oh, oh, okay. Well, I'm sure a cat will be along soon anyway. Um, oh boy, <laughs> Jesus, really, Lisa? You had one job. Here's your dog again. Yeah, okay, anyway. Um, so yeah, okay, back to the commercial thing here. This is why we edit. Uh, my new sponsor, not new sponsor, my, my sponsor, dentkits.com. So 
these guys have an online denture company. Um, I came across them a couple months ago and, you know, we started talking back then and we kind of, you've heard me now speaking about them or, or doing, you know, commercials within the episodes for the last few weeks. What they are is an online denture company who, well, I'll just get to the price. $600 US gets you a full set of dentures, top and bottom. It's a mail order process. You know, they, they send you out the molds, you do them at home, you take some really detailed pictures of them, you send them back. Um, and they, they get the detailed pictures so that, they can give approval for you to send them back rather than, you know, some unnecessary back and forthing of, of the molds. Uh, they do what they do there with a 3d printer and acrylic or whatever the hell they're doing. And they send you back a, you know, a set of dentures or a partial denture or whatever. In, in my case, you know, I've got the upper, I've still got to get the lower done. Um, I just got my upper yesterday and for the first time in three years, I can look in a mirror. I can see myself on camera and I'm not, reliving the things that happened i'm not i'm not ashamed of myself i'm not you know my life changed in 30 seconds yesterday you know because because i can smile right you know <laughs> it's it's a really big deal to me and um it, it is and and i just deadkids.com guys you got to check them out they're absolutely amazing um and the, the final product is serious high quality it's a fraction of what dentures cost so when you're coming out of active addiction and into recovery, you know, that's the fix of that smile is a big deal. And it's, well, quite frankly, it's an unattainable goal for most of us, right? Yeah. Thousands and thousands of dollars that cost. Lisa, we were just talking about, you know, one implant costing $8,000, right? Well, who's yeah. going to, Jesus, yeah. coming, it, it, coming out of addiction, right? <laughs> Fuck, right? $8,000 is a trip around the world, right? You know, like there's just no way, right? So um, it's been a big deal and it's, I'm so excited and I'm so happy to be an ambassador for the product because i really do believe in what they're doing right so yeah i uh, i saw you know your your post on on facebook and yeah i saw your mom's comment which i thought was lovely right she was like that's the smile i know right i was like literally like yeah. there's mama's boy right but i also <laughs> loved that kyle i think kyle was with you right yeah, and I yeah, loved he was. that yeah, Kyle. Carl, Carl, yeah, Carl he, the atheist yeah 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 sorry carl but i loved <laughs> when he replied to your mom and he said yeah. like you know, he wished your mom had been there to just see the change in your expression, your face when you put it in. And yeah, I'm so happy for you. Yeah, it was a pretty big deal. <laughs> it was, mm -hmm. it was. So. And it's a good smile. You got a good smile. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long time. Well, you've you've yeah. always been handsome, yeah. Chris. So now you got a smile that uh, exuberates <laughs> said that. nobody ever. So. <laughs> 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 no, it's like, honestly, when we first started recording, um, and using like a like this Riverside to record or whatever, I had you know the pop filter that you put in front of a microphone, the big round circle. I had it sitting there so that you couldn't see my my mouth, right? That was how I first started doing these. It's taken me a long time to get to the point where even in in a private setting, because you know nobody ever sees this video um, outside you know the Twitch stream or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, to even do that. So it, that's oh, it's so, it's so freeing. So when I like a woman who puts that much more typically, and I don't want to stereotype her, you know you know, pigeonhole any of that. But so a woman that's coming out of active addiction, who typically they're much more concerned about their appearance. I can't imagine how, like, it feels that way for me, right? I, I can't imagine what it must be like to somebody who, you know, felt beautiful one day, came out of active addiction, you know, three years later and went, fuck, you know, it doesn't feel beautiful anymore. I can't imagine that. So, you know, it's a pretty, well, pretty I great mean, thing that these guys are doing over there. So, I mean, it, it, it's coming out of addiction. I mean, that's, that's one of the first things, you know, that we're, we're trying because, like you said, you looked in the mirror and, and that's all you saw, right? So in, in changing the mindset yeah. of who we are is, mm -hmm. 
and I like the word recovery, you know, because I am recovering from this this thing that uh, that afflicted me mm-hmm. for so many years in my life. There's so many aspects to addiction that you know we can't list them all right here. So when I heard the word recovery, it, it changed everything for me in regards to my outlook at the possible future that I might be able to have. But coming out of my own addiction, <clears throat> I was 126 pounds. I, I was a walking skeleton. And, uh, you know, they're just yeah. the starting of the decay and the teeth and everything like that. So when we, when we start looking after the outwardness of ourselves, you know, it plays a big role in, in what we're seeing inward. We, you know, we can have the best mindset, you know, and, and the best uh, uh, attitude towards what we're doing in life. But like you said, Chris, every time we looked in a mirror, all we saw was what we did to ourselves. And it's, it's a hard uh, stone to get over. I was going to school, uh, like I told you earlier, at Herzing College, and I was getting A's, you know, hammering every course I was doing in my radio television broadcasting because I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to do movies. And I would come home and I would tell my wife, not bad for a junkie, eh? Not bad for a junkie, eh? And she kept saying, like, why, why do you say that? And I says, well, that's... You know, isn't that what I am? Like that's you know, I'm an ex-junkie. And she says, No, that's that's who you were. That's not who you are now. She says, I remember, you know, who you are. And she helped me change that mindset. So it's like mm-hmm. so and that word recovery helped that. And it's just like the physical being ourselves, what we see, you know, is what we're going to believe. And so by changing that outward appearance, you know, we're we're changing that inward thought and then slowly that will move away. You know, from being part, that's still my story. That's still mm-hmm. part of who I am, but it's not what I protrude anymore. Yeah. You know, so it, it's a very valid yeah. point that you yeah. bring up with about, you know, looking after our outward selves, which would inhibit the growth of our inward yeah. self. And I, I really like that. And you look great, by the way. You always have. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, let's move on to the week. Lisa, I'm just deciding this now. And, and it's, hey, I'm the host. I get to do that. I'm going to let you pick out some points from the week rather than us bring it up episode by episode and, and kind of talk about some mm-hmm. of the highlights from the week. How about we do that and, and see how that plays out? Hmm? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Should we start with Monday? You de- It's your show now. You decide, right? This is your show. Ah. <laughs> oh, it is not my show. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> Like, I feel like we, if we're going to do it, like, I think we should touch on each of them only because I feel like each of them is in some way somebody's story. And so I wouldn't want to just like bypass as if, well, that story wasn't meaningful or whatever. Um, So, yeah, like, so on Monday, it was uh, Monica talking about her sister, Mm -hmm. Melissa. Um, and it sounds like her sister had struggled in addiction, had spent some time in jail, um, had actually been sober for a period of time. And the details, I, I couldn't really pull out the specifics, but, you know, it sounds like at some point there was a relapse and, and an overdose and that she had died. Um, Seems to be the case more often me, than not, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah, which is terrifying. Um, but the story hit me differently because there was so many unknowns for the family right like it sounds like melissa was cremated before her family were even notified right Um, and i don't know if they didn't know who she was or like i'm like what the hell um 
but there was, so there was a lot of anger. Like I sensed a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, um, <laughs> yep, you know, with, yep. with the, with, she talks about a, you know, a police officer and she talks about the people that her sister had been using with. And she said that they left her like a dead animal. Um, cause I don't even think it was clear that her, her sister was dead when she was left. Um, yeah, I caught that too. Savable, yep. Yep. Right. So just like, just a very, very sad story. And, you know, it sounds like Monica had even gone back. Um, I don't remember the provinces they were in, but had gone back to states, where her sister states, had yeah, lived. Yeah. Oh, states. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, with this hope of trying to get answers. And she couldn't, she couldn't, you know, at least so far, it seemed like there was a lot of unknowns. And I just. How frustrating that know, must be. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I will say I've been in contact with Monica since, and I'll be mindful of what I say here. She's got two other immediate family members who are suffering in addiction right now with fentanyl. And she reached out to me to ask if, you know, what can she do? And I'm like, ah, I have a hard enough time navigating things here, you know, as we know when listeners get in touch and, you know, about some of the struggles and, and I want to help everybody. God, I want to help everybody. Uh, I can't. And you, yeah, you, you would understand that, of course, in your profession. So I put her in touch with Friday's guest. So we'll get to Friday, but one of Friday's guests, um, he's, he's jumped in and helped us out. So, uh, and, and I put those two in Amazing. touch with each other. So if I can do anything Ooh. now, you know, right. I might be able to help people connect and, and that maybe that's my calling in all of this is to, you know, put people together that yeah. need to be put together. So, um, I, I know Rich has been in touch with her and, and that's kind of fantastic. So it's a great way to, you know, that's amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about Friday next? Hey, might as well. Hey, we can do it in whatever order we want. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Why not? Yeah. Yeah. So I got to tell you, when I started listening to Friday, because I know we had talked briefly about whether I could join, and I was at work that day, and just the timing couldn't work. When I started talking, I was like, no, no, I want to be there for this. Um, I felt like they were my people, you know? I was like, I need to be in this conversation. Um so basically just for to tell Joseph, so it was a lady named Michelle who had a son and daughter-in-law who'd been in active addiction. She had temporarily been guardian of their two, I think, two daughters. They're now more than four years in recovery and back with their kids. And now she, you know, I think she has like a Facebook group or she runs like a support group of some kind. A big, a big group. She's, she's an advocate in a huge way. She also has a podcast. She's yeah. also got a Ted talk. She's Ted like, talks. yeah, she's, yeah. she's turned her experience into uh quite the crazy kind of advocacy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And she's so well-spoken and you know, she, she does seem very well informed, like listening to her talk and then mm -hmm. joining her was a guy in the States, rich, and he yep. is yep. himself in recovery. Um, yep. and he is a certified interventionist. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. So when I put these two together now, and Joe, so for so some background, the whole idea when I went into putting this this episode together, I wanted to have Lisa have an exchange of ideas. I don't want to say debate because Lisa is, she is our love model person. That is what Lisa does. As far as I'm concerned, that's her role in the show. She is the love model personified. Her story is amazing about her and her brother. So, and, and of course being a psychiatrist and that there's, there's all sorts of different angles. And I wanted to get somebody who's a real strong um, I started calling it the protection model is as a, you know, the traditional thing, hard boundaries, you know, you know, um, kind of using attrition to, to get somebody into recovery kind of thing. And what I wanted was two people to have an exchange of ideas, not in a debate, a discussion. 
turned out Lisa couldn't do it. And, you know, me trying to time people in my fucking chaotic brain was just like, <laughs> that was the real problem here, right? Was, that was, let's be honest. I couldn't make it work. It was short notice. Um, <coughs> so I, I found Michelle and Rich to be what I thought were the two sides to this. And see, mm. there doesn't work like that. It doesn't. We get these two people together. At least I'll let you talk about it from there. Yeah. So just, uh, you know, again, different perspectives, right? So like Michelle doesn't have her own lived experience, but she's the family member of somebody. She, you know, obviously, you know, just imagine having your child suffer an addiction and the impact it has on your grandchildren and just how that would just be you would have so many different emotions about that, right? There's the mom in you who wants to protect your child, but then there's the grandma in you who's going to be upset about the hurt that this is causing the grandchildren. And, and then Rich, of course, with his lived experience and doing intervention work. But really, for me, listening to them, they're both love model advocates. <laughs> so, right? I know. I yeah. was like, oh, well, here, you know, right? I, th- I thought it was the owner of the Coliseum. And really, you know, it turns out, you know, right? <laughs> you know we yeah. don't have a couple gladiators that I have to talk super... about. But, you know, yeah. I was super curious, like, I, like, I don't know if he would do it, but like, I would love to hear more about Rich's story. Cause he, he literally, his story for me, what I took away was that he, he referred to himself as a street kid, said he started using dope and then he was scraped out of the gutter by some people <laughs> and then decided right. that yeah. he needed to, you know, pay that forward. But I'm like, whoa, 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 like back up the wagon. Like what is, tell us more because it's like, who scraped you out of the gutter and how, because whatever they did worked. And so tell us that story. Like, I would love to hear more about that. No if kidding. He's ever well, open to you'll sharing get the chance. Um, three weeks from now on the 15th, he's going to be on with us. So yeah, I just <gasps> literally Amazing. two minutes before we started recording, I, I, I firmed that up with him. Right. I invited him on for next okay. week. Oh, sorry, Joseph. Yeah. Oh no, I, I, I didn't listen to the program, but something? listening to you guys explain to this, you know, the, the whole love model and, and what, what we can do yeah yeah i mean i mean as as an an addictive parent you know and for 40 years of my life and and, you know and to have my 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 youngest daughter and my son harlan uh be the ones who will say scrape me off the street you know follow me in edmonton (laughs) um panhandling for my next shot um my daughter was getting married she reached she found me and said you know that's enough dad come home you know i i I want you to walk me down the aisle and she used she used three words i love you and Mm -hmm. so when we we talk about a love model their love comes in all forms in all ways i mean yes like you said the two guests that you had were were love but at the same time, setting up one was setting up boundaries because she had a, a different as a grandmother, she had to set up different boundaries, you know, and then as a mother, mm-hmm. she had that protectiveness. And so when we're when we're trying to because I, I do outreach, I mean, I'm a support worker in addictions as part time job. I do it keeps me grounded, gives me an opportunity to give back to the community. So when I'm dealing with people um, in, in my treatment center, that I work at, you know, I, I come from that place of love, but also as, as a place of, mm-hmm. you know, I have to have boundaries because being in recovery, trying to help another addict can be a very touchy situation because at the end of the day, my recovery is the most important thing to me, you know, and I need to yeah. protect that. It's more important than my wife. It's more important than my children. And it's more important than the grief that I feel for my son. 
because if I don't look after my recovery, mm-hmm. then I'm right back down that rabbit hole and I'm no good to anybody. So love and what the yeah. two guests that you had on, I'm sorry I missed it, you know, come from different places of, of the description of love. And Lisa said that earlier, that, that they're all, it's all love. It's just trying to find that balance and the best way to reach that addict that's still suffering. You know, what kind of love do they need? And am I capable of, of making that sacrifice within myself to express that and, and, you know, put the effort into trying to, to bring them back? We can't rescue them. We can't do this for them. We can't heal them for, you know, as much as we would love to. But what kind of yeah. love can I give them to motivate them to want to start trekking back? To the person that they once were and and i think that's what we what we have to keep in mind when we're trying to help others this is well said joseph Mm -hmm. um lisa you've heard me try to or seen me in you know the different things in different ways i've I've been trying to give a quick definition of the love model and i don't think the definition is the right term but description of it you know and and something that kind of grabs and because in this day and age of short attention span social media you know you you don't have 20 minutes to explain to to anybody what anything is can you kind of give me your description of it and maybe you know you've seen this coming i I forewarned Mm -hmm. you about this question so i'm sure you got something yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think it's complicated and it's simple right and i think at the end of the day for me the love model is ask yourself at every point if what you're doing is coming from a place of love or if it's coming from anger or resentment. And I will also say that I think it's important to, as a family member, to show yourself grace, that you can live in the love model and you're still human, right? You're still going to have moments of anger. You're still going to have moments of resentment. But it's ultimately, I think, to continue asking yourself, am I making my decisions? Am I moving forward? Am I interacting with my loved one in addiction from a place of love? Or like what's driving the decisions I'm making and the things that I'm doing while recognizing that even in the love model, you're going to feel anger, you're going to feel resentment, you're going to feel sadness. You're go- it's not like the love model doesn't mean that you connect with your loved one in addiction with rainbows and butterflies and like that, that's not it. And I think if, if people yeah. think that they're going to feel like, well, I can't do that. That's not attainable. Cause I don't think it is attainable to, you know, we're not going around with heart eye emojis. Right. Um, yeah. but it's literally to just ask yourself, you know, and again, cause yeah, like within the love model, of course you have boundaries, you know, and, yeah. but again, why do you have those boundaries? Are those boundaries? So for example, with my brother, um, I wouldn't give my brother money. You know, there were times when it was 40 minus 40 in Edmonton and he had nowhere to sleep and I would, you know, pay for a hotel room for a night um, because I didn't want my brother sleeping out on the freezing cold streets, but I wouldn't give him money because my concern was that the money would be spent on substances. And I thought if I give you money and you buy drugs and you overdose, I won't live with myself. And so it was in part a boundary with him that I'm not going to fund your addiction. Um, it was also a boundary that was somewhat protective for me, but it came from a place of wanting my brother to heal and wanting my brother to be well. Um, and even when I would set boundaries with my brother and say, look, I can't give you money. Um, I would say to him, I would follow it up with, you can call me any hour of the day or night. And I don't care if I'm at work or I'm asleep, I will come get you. 
I'm like, we were three hours apart. And I would say to him, I will come get you and we will drive. I don't know where we're driving, but we will drive. We will get the hell out of there and we'll figure it out as we go. Um, so it's like, you know, you can set your boundary, but my boundary came from a place of not wanting to pay for his drugs. It came from a place of wanting him to be healthy and well. Um, but I also generally always combined it with, I love you and I believe you can do this and you can call me when you're ready and I will come get you. There's no questions. And I always told him the minute you decide that you're ready, we will make this happen. Like I was like, I don't care what I got to do. Like I'm going to help you do this. Um, but so all that to say, because there's a 20 minute explanation you didn't want. Um, <laughs> I totally didn't do what I asked. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I promise I will think more on it and come up with something concise, but I still think it's, we can, you know. We can visit this every just, week for all I care. It's a great conversation to have. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But it's just to ask yourself, are you doing what you're doing, whether that's a boundary, whether that's locking the door, whether that's not answering the phone, whether that's refusing to send money, are you doing it because you love them? And are you doing it because you want them to get well? If you are, you're probably doing the right thing for them. Um, But if you're doing it because you're angry and it's a F you and then then no, then you need to go back and rethink where you're at. Yeah. I, 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 I really like that. I really like that. Um, and I think I'm going to incorporate it. Um, because just in my work, I like, I'm, I'm work, I'm dealing with, uh, I have a stepdaughter right now, uh, who, you know, after her mm-hmm. grandmother died, uh, kind of fell back into her addiction and mm-hmm. it's, it's been hard watching her mother, <clears throat> uh, try and deal with it. Yeah. And, you know, we'll, I said, well, we'll keep loving her, but we'll wait, we'll keep loving her, but we'll wait. And uh, she reached out to me uh, not too long ago and, and saying, I need some help. Can you help me? And the answer was immediately yes. Immediately yes. Because that window I found when an addict is at that, <laughs> that, that window, right. that window was so small and it, it stays open only for a yeah. very short time. So if we're not ready, you know, when they ask yeah. for that. So I have got her a bed in our in the facility that I work with because I, I work there. So they said, yeah, we'll, we'll bring her in right away. And then mm-hmm. I told her the importance. I said, you know, a lot of people wait for these beds. So Amazing. you yeah. really need to be serious, I said, because I put myself out on the line for you and I believe in you and I know you can do this, but you have to do it. I can't do this for you, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm here. I love you. I'm so, I'm so glad that that's where it is in the moment anyway. You yeah, know, that's and so right now she's in the hospital, yeah. you know, you know, dealing with some stuff. And then as soon as she gets out, I can move her into the, the facility that I work in. And I told her straight oh. out, when I work there, I'm not dad. <laughs> I know I, I'm, I'm staff and I, I will call <laughs> you on your shit and you will not get special treatment and you will get no favors. And, and, you know, because that's my job and I have specific boundaries when I'm at work, when it comes to family members that are coming in for treatment. Mm-hmm. And I just mm-hmm. need you to know that beforehand. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, my girl, I love you. I know you need to remember that. Mm-hmm. So I like that model, Lisa. I really like that. Uh, Lisa? Joe, that makes me, that, yeah, what Joe's saying just makes me think of something. Um, and again, maybe we needed this conversation so I could put something concise together. But I feel like, to me, there's actually another branch of it that I didn't even touch on, but Joe kind of did, is that, you know, I think part of the love model is making sure that the decisions you're making are coming from a place of love. I actually think there's another whole branch of the love model that is 
to actively love your loved one. Make it an active process, right? It's not just, well, I'm setting boundaries out of love. I'm offering help out of love. But again, to say, you know what, I can be frustrated with where you're at. I can be, um, you know, I can have resentment. I can have moments of anger, but I can still send you a message every day and say, I love you. You are loved. Like we're here for you, you know? So it's, I think there is that active process of just because you're frustrated with their disease or their illness or their addiction um, doesn't mean you can't actively love them. Yeah. Well, you said. Know? And, well said. And then okay. that's, and that's I think what it gets my, lost. I think people. Yeah. Yeah, that's what my wife is doing. I, I every day people, she was sending, <laughs> sending a message. She was sending a message every day, yeah. every day, every day, every day. You know, Kudos to your wife, Joe. Kudos you know, every to her. Day. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. then after Harlan died, she, whatever happened after Harlan died is when she reached out and said, Hey, you know, dad, can, can you help me? You know, I know you done it. You know, mm-hmm. can you help me? And, and the answer was immediate because if we look at the word love, love is a verb. Love is an action. Wow. You know, we, we just don't Ooh. say, I love you. Ooh, I like it's that. A, it's a I verb. Like that. I love verb you, which is the, which is the noun. Yeah. So, when you yeah. put it in that perspective, love, regardless of where it's coming from or the motivation behind it, has to be that action. So when she said, can you help me? The only act of love that I could give her at that moment was saying, yes, I can. And then actively going to the people that I needed to go to and say, hey, can we do this? Can we do it quickly? And then going back to her and say, yes, my girl, wow. you got bed. I'll interrupt quick. There's another fucking podcast. Love is a verb. Oh my God. Okay, continue. This is what That's I do. A good one, right? I here, you know, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh, sex. Name of your sex tape is like me. Oh, name of your podcast, right? Like, I do this like three times a week. Okay. But you know, when you're when you're a family member, you you spend so much of your time when your loved one is in active addiction in fear right? Worrying. Mm. Where are they? What are they going to do? Are they going to die? Am I going to get a phone call? Are they freezing? Mm -hmm. Are they starving? That I think it's you're you're there or you're in, you're angry or you're resentful or like, what are they thinking and why won't they get help and whatever. But I think sometimes that overshadows that you can still just love them. Sometimes you can literally just put that aside and still simultaneously actively love them. Mm -hmm. I have a question for Um, Lisa. We're going to take a quick Go ahead, quick. Go take your quick Actually, break, no. and then your question can wait till when we get back from the uh, from the PSA. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And now for a quick PSA brought to you by Revolution Recovery, helping men recover and become their best selves through support and treatment. They've been there, and they understand. Hi, listeners. This is Lena. I'm part of the Ashes to Awesome team and co-hosted on episodes 76 and 67. Do you carry Narcan, also known as Naloxone? If not, perhaps you should. The kits are not only compact and easy to use, they are free at all harm reduction centers and a lot of pharmacies. By carrying one of these kits, you could save the life of somebody who loves and that is loved. I get that most of you never plan on being around opioid use, but there's no telling when it could be around you. I can't think of a good reason not to have it, and if you're not sure where to find it for free, Send us an email at ashes to awesome podcast at gmail.com legwork for you and find it for free in your area. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. Drum roll, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> We're back. Lisa. 
you 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 mentioned a really interesting point before the break about you know having that anger that worry and everything like that my oldest daughter had resigned herself to getting that phone call from from the rcmp informing her that her dad was dead she had said it in her mind that was her conclusion for her father and that was it i'm just going to sit here now and wait for the police to come and tell me he's dead well, that didn't happen. My other kids came and got me and I'm, you know, from ashes to awesomeness, you know, I'm living my best life. We've had some really good tragedies. And in that four years, her mother has died uh, from a tainted drug. And her father, her, her brother has died, Harlan, from another tainted drug. She won't talk to me, you know, and she has, because she, she has come this close to looking at me and saying, it should have been you. And I'm really struggling right now with that. And to the, you know, I've just put it out there. When you're ready, I'll be here, you know? And so I'm, I'm, this is, this is Joe now. This is Joe in recovery, talking to Lisa. What do I do with that? So two things that come to mind for me, one is to reciprocate the love model one, you know, so for example, she's going through her own journey. And I think to, like you're saying, you're, you're already doing is to just keep that line of communication open, giving her the space that she might need. But even again, you can respect her need for space and you can still show her love through what she's struggling with. Right. Um, but the other thing is validation. You know, um, because I remember listening to you tell your story where you had the same thought, you know, like I I should have died of of a of an opiate overdose, not my boy, right? And I mean, I'm glad you didn't, and I'm sorry that he did, and I wish that yes. neither of you were, you know, that he was also not gone. But I, I wonder about the power of, I, I think validation is a very powerful tool, right? When someone is struggling and I wonder about validating if, I don't know, it doesn't sound like she said that to you, but you know, your thought is that maybe that's something she's thinking. And yeah. I wonder if you speaking it, you know, would, wouldn't be an incredible form of validation for her. Um, you know, because the other thing is it might be something that she's thinking and she's not able to process yet and but also is not wanting to say to you because she doesn't want to hurt you. And some of that distance between you and her might be that she's trying not to say something hurtful to you. But if you say it on her behalf, if you put the words out in the universe for her, I wonder if that wouldn't open up her ability to say, yeah, like I've thought that, you know, and it yeah. might just allow that conversation to happen without her needing to be the one to say something that she thinks would be really hurtful for you. Yeah, thank you for that. No, because it's just something that, you know, when you were talking about that came into mm -hmm. my mind. And then you know, I, I know it's been a really tough mm -hmm. couple of years for my children. And, you know, just, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I go into and I being a support worker, I tell my my residents like the hardest relationship that you're going to have to mend is the ones with your children because we've let them down so yeah. many times and and to be patient and, and to be yeah. kind and then when I got faced with it, it was like like okay, what do I do here? And I kind of felt I went numb, you know. I just and I know it's early. I know we're you know we're still grieving and it's fresh, but I, I will, I will keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. I will maybe write her a letter, um, you know, and, and saying like, you know, just what you said, 
you know, that this, this is hard mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, it should have been me. And I don't know why it was that, um, yeah. but I'm here and I'm here for you. I think that's I like, uh, and normalizing ahead, it, right? Like validation is, it allows people to normalize things. And I think that, you know, I mean, I'm sure if I was sitting and talking to her and I said to her, did you want your dad to die? She would look at me and say, of course, I didn't want my dad to die. Um, but I think that, you know, because as you've shared, you suffered for so many years in severe addiction, um, it made sense in her brain that that was something that could happen. But what happened to her brother just doesn't make sense right now. Yeah. And I think being able to like validate that thought she may be having, it just normalizes it. Because I think a lot of people would think that, like, how is it that my dad survived a 40 year history of opiate addiction and is now four years sober? And then my brother who didn't struggle with addiction died of opiates. Like, how did that happen? You know, um, and I think normalizing that it doesn't make sense and it's not fair. You know, it's, there's, there's no nice way of wrapping that up in a bow like that. It's, it's absolute shit, you know? No. Um, oh, but yeah, I think I, just, even I struggle with that. Yeah. Like Ooh. even I struggle with that. Like, <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no, and no. That's what makes us swears we have to acknowledge it because it's a rare thing. So, right, right. yeah. <laughs> and you talked about that, right, Joe, in your podcast. And that's kind of why yeah. some of like, that's why some of my thoughts. Are oh, here we go again. Yeah. Okay. I was going to have a say. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, I, I got to say, guys, Joe, what a fantastic question. And of course, I mean, coming from where you are, I guess it's a natural question. And Lisa, what a great answer, you know, from sitting outside looking into this. Um, wow. That, that's content gold, guys. And thank you. Thank you both mm -hmm. for that. That's um, I, I'm sure there's I appreciate listeners out show. there that, that are hearing that. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the show. Yeah, I appreciate I mean... the question. I appreciate you valuing my thoughts. <laughs> so thank you for that. Yeah. Oh, only in Canada would be interrupting each other with gratitudes and. Thank you to our you. U.S. listeners. This should happen. This should happens all the time. Okay, down to our U.S. listeners. This is this is this is a normal conversation up here, right? We uh we're constantly we just put our toques on and thank each other all day. Yes. Right? So yeah. Yeah. Great. Anyway. Well. Anyway, um. Uh, we we do have to keep moving. So um, yeah. the rest of the week here, Lisa, you want to keep going down that way? I want to like say something. So I have not, which is embarrassing to admit, but I have not actually listened to Ryan's podcast where you guys talked about shame and guilt. Oh, oh that's, okay. That goes back a long ways. Um, I'm going to let yeah. you keep talking and I'm going to come back with that episode number for you. How's that sound? Because okay. um, that is for just... the listeners a great one, right? Yeah, yeah. You guys talk about it a little bit in the Friday episode, and it like I was like, now I really need to go back and listen because, um, basically, what was said in the Friday episode was that, um, shame is something that's put on you externally, and guilt is intrinsic, which is like a fascinating way of describing it and thinking of it, but it's actually very different to how I've always thought of it. Um, okay, and so I just wanted to like share that. So for me, right. Guilt is a feeling you have about something you've done, something you've done um, that you feel bad about. Shame okay. is when you feel bad about who you are. It's a very different way of looking at it. Yeah. Very okay. different, right? Um, I like it. Yeah. Again, I think I think I need to go back and listen to Ryan's uh, that podcast for sure. You really do. Again, Actually, for... it's it's powerful, and I'm still looking for it. Yeah. It's, yeah, I think I think I I need to listen to that as well because uh, it's actually one of the I, I I attend grief counseling and I, and grief groups, 
Okay. And there was one that my wife really particularly wanted me to go to, and that was that one, uh, Shame and Guilt. Um, 52, shame, yes. episode 52. Yeah. 52. Uh, yeah. Shame because of who I once yeah. was, and, and like in particular with my son's death, and, and guilt over the things that I had done. And, and guys, I really thought I had more time. I really uh, thought I right. had more time right. to 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 become the man, you know, to become, you know, have that relationship with him, you know, mend some of those things that, you know, we were just starting to get close. We just, you know, hung out at the gym for the first time, you know, and, and really making that connection. So when he died, I, that shame and that guilt just slapped me right in the face. Oh, because then everything I ever done as an addict, every lifestyle choice that I made that that affected my kids came back. And and then that carried that shame and, and forgot the hard work that I did for the past four years. And God bless my wife who who helped put me, you know, pull me out from that because I think I was on the verge of going back down that rabbit hole. And, and so she found these, yeah. these seminars for me to attend and shame and guilt was a real big one. So I, I think I will go back and listen to that as it mm. pertained to an addict. You should, I, I, I'll try and summarize it in my not anywhere near as eloquent way. Um, and, and the way Ryan puts it is amazing. But the, the idea being that shame is the boot on your neck, right? And, and, and for me personally, yeah, absolutely it was, right? Um, guilt is a driver. Right. So shame comes from outside. It's there to keep you down. Guilt comes from inside. I'm going to do better because of what happened. Right. I'm going to do better. Mm -hmm. So in your case, Joseph, no, thanks. I'm good campaign. Right. Maybe, maybe some of that comes from the guilt. That's what you can do with that guilt. Right. The shame of what you did just stops you from doing anything. Right. So, and, and again, right. that's a really, really fucking like horrible, you know, just you know, <laughs> attempt at, at, at saying what Ryan said, but uh, episode 52 is for me and my personal experience and my story. What an episode, what an episode. Mm. I, it, every single day I think about the things that were said there. Right. So we're going to have some uh, episode 52 downloads coming up. <laughs> I can see that happening for sure. For sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, next up, Lisa. Yeah. Um, just checking to see if there is anything else on that Friday episode. I mean, there was a few things he said that I was like, I, I really loved some of the, you know, like, for example, he said, you're not going to punish me clean. Right. Oh, I like, yeah. Right. Or, uh, right. I know. I was like, yeah. well, that's, I'd never heard about it the war on drugs, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And it came up, it might've even came up twice this week, if I'm not mistaken, but this whole idea of the word clean and how, you know, we often use that word in addiction, you know, oh, I'm clean or what's my clean date or whatever. Ryan spoke and about it on the Wednesday. That, yeah. That yeah. means I was once like, dirty, but, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and it's, it's funny because there's certain words as I've brought up in various episodes that like, you know, I don't like, or I try not to use that wasn't one that, that had ever kind of struck me. And the minute it was said, it, it's so obvious that it's almost embarrassing that I hadn't thought of it, but it's I feel like it's term something. When you use it that way though, right? You know, just. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Um, so yep. I thought that was really interesting. And um, if we go back. So where are we now? So Tuesday. So Tuesday was, uh, was. was Justin Bryan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. That the author of the the book, something shadows. I can't remember the name of his book now. Um, wrestling with no, the, the shoot. 
wrestling with shadows that's that bret hart one <laughs> um yeah yeah um it's in the show notes anyway yeah 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 mm-hmm. but so again so he you know he's telling his story uh, in recovery um and uh, again said some things that really kind of struck me like one of them was that the hardest part of addiction isn't quitting it's learning to live in sobriety yeah yeah and yeah. um you know, especially like with my brother, right? Like my brother has been to treatment numerous times and he goes to treatment and he's, you know, the golden star child of treatment and he does really well. But then it was, you know, he would come out of treatment and never did what he's doing this particular time and would kind of go back to life, you know, go back to his job, go back to his town. And, um, and he didn't know how to do life sober, you know, and that's where, that's where he would end up, you know, relapsing and struggling. Go ahead, Joseph. Yeah, um, that, that, that was a really interesting thing you said, because in the 40 years um, in my addiction, I could never stay sober a year. I would get eight mm-hmm. months, I would get nine months, I'd get six months and then something would happen. And and this the difference this time <clears throat> for me and I, and I can only speak for myself was that when I got off that train and I saw my kids and I looked at them and I said, I'm done. And I didn't say I was done the drugs. I didn't say I was done my addiction. I was done hurting. I didn't want to hurt anymore. You know, and I needed to find ways to remember how to feel good. Because probably for 10 years, I had never felt good. Regardless of what the drugs ever did, I never felt good. And, and so once we got through the withdrawals, the detox, and I remember getting up for coffee with Harmon, like we always would, he went, he would go to the work, you know, and I remember sitting on their deck and, and the sun came out and I took my shirt off sitting on their deck and the sun hitting my bare chest saying, God, that feels good. And I remember that was the first moment that I felt good. And I hung on to it. So for me, it wasn't about quitting the drugs. For me, it wasn't about quitting the lifestyle. For me, it was, I just don't want to feel pain anymore. I don't want to hurt anymore. And I knew that it was going to be a journey down at all my past traumas, at all all the things that I, resentments and everything there, and all the pain that people and myself had cost me. And I had to resolve that within me. If I was ever going to stay in recovery, mm-hmm. then I had to come to terms with the pain in my life. And that's what I tell my client, my residents, when we talk, if you're willing to go down to the core of yourself and find out what, what has caused you pain and you're willing, willing to resolve that, then you can have success because that's what's worked for me. And I'm not saying it for everybody, but I think the big part of addiction is that we're, mm-hmm. we're trying to numb the pain. And so if I can deal with the pain, then I can have success. And it's mm-hmm. for me, it's four years now. I was just amazed when I hit my first one year clean, like I'll say clean uh, in recovery. I was amazed. And now every day, <laughs> at, even at 60, I'll be 60 in August. And every day is a new day. Every day is a brighter day. Even with mm-hmm. what I'm going through, everything is brand new. And that's what I hang on to, my acting, my, 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 my productions. Um, helping mm-hmm. people it's all yeah. brand new and i love it you know and i don't want to ever lose it right so yeah that's but, but sorry i Absolutely. didn't mean to yeah 
No, 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 no. It's all it's all valuable things, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let, let's move on to Wednesday, Lisa, if if you don't mind. Yeah. Can I say one other thing? Of course you can. <laughs> um, I didn't think you'd say no to me, but I was like, I don't know, maybe he will. Um, I also, I, I enjoyed listening to Justin talk about finding your why. Um, and I enjoyed it. And I also find that frustrating because I think that was something that, um, you know, for years it was like, what, what's my brother's why, you know, like Mm -hmm. he lost his home, he lost his job, he lost his truck, he lost, you know, his family in a sense, like he, you know, he wasn't allowed to live at home anymore. Um, and you just, you watch people go down this hole and you're like, Mm -hmm. what do you need to lose? Like, what's your why going to be? Um, I still remember there's a physician I worked with who was in recovery and, you know, I remember him telling me that, that that's one of the biggest struggles is that everyone's why or everyone, you know, if you like the term rock bottom, like everyone's ultimate point is different and it is so hard to predict what it's going to be for each person. If we could do that, we could, you know, probably help people a lot more easily. But he had shared with me that, you know, he had same thing, like his, you know, his marriage had fallen apart. Um, He wasn't allowed to see his young children but then he said he was at work and he was actually intoxicated and he was doing a well baby check as a family physician and he, the baby was crying and he smacked the baby. And oh he my. said, it, you know, it just jolted him awake and he was like, oh my God. And that was his why. And now he's sober, he's in recovery, he works entirely in the field of addiction now helping other people. But he said to me, like, my wife left me and you know, but then I, I smacked someone else's baby and that was my moment. Wow. Um, I'll speak to to that from my experiences. Um, a, that fellow we want on the show, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) make that happen, please. Um, all those things, look at them differently. They're the fuck it's they're the, fuck it. I just lost my job. Fuck it. I just lost my wife. Fuck it. My family doesn't talk to me, right? And, and Joseph, you could probably oh, yeah. really see, oh, yeah. agree with what I'm saying here, right? <laughs> yeah. Those are the things that you would that to a normal person would be the okay. I got to get my shit together. But to the addict's brain, are one more reason to just keep going, right? Yeah. Just just to keep going down that goddamn hole, right? And all of those, it just it's it's a, just a reverse way of thinking. So what would be yeah. a why to you is a fuck it to me, and and that's what keeps you there. Right. It's funny you say that because I had that thought with my brother. I remember I had points with my brother, you know, through the Mm -hmm. 20 whatever years where I didn't reach out to him a lot. Like I went through phases where I was pissed off with him. I resented him. I was like, I feel like I'm an only child. I don't want to be an only child. Like I was angry at him for that. Um, And I kind of, you know, I, I was never overly mean to him, but I kind of just kept my distance. And I remember having this moment where I was like, you know what, am I just giving him, am I just fueling his fire? Maybe I should like, you know, love him with kindness. And maybe that would make it harder for him to, to say, fuck it. You know, like yeah. I was like, I'm going to, she did it again. Okay. Right. <laughs> but it's like, I'm going to love him. I'm going to reach out to him. I'm going to make him like, I'm going to put in his face. Like, this is what you're missing. You know, mm-hmm. this relationship is something you're missing. Relationship with, with your niece is something you're missing. Like, I was like, I'm going to just throw love in your face and to th- make it holy, harder. Holy, the loudest phone ever, right? Sorry. Jeez. <laughs> um, 
how did that work for you, Lisa? How did you feel at the um, time that that worked for you, at least? I, I mean, I always say, you know, my brother is now three months sober and, you know, I'm, I hope that he continues to be sober and we can have all these questions because I like, I'd love to hear his side of it. But what I can tell you is it felt a hell of a lot better for me, you know, like, hey, did it maybe impact that's, him? that's enough, right? Yeah. You and know, knows, but right? for me, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like I, I felt better going to sleep at night knowing that despite not getting a text back, despite not getting a phone call back, despite whatever, that what I was doing was, <laughs> was putting them, love. <laughs> <laughs> Here, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, just, you know, I felt better knowing that I was loving him. That Fair felt enough. better to Fair me. Enough. Yeah. 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 And, and maybe that's enough right there. Maybe that's one more reason to use a damn love model is that you're going to feel better about it. And you spoke to that once, you know, or in your episode 101, where you talked about, you know, if something were to go really bad, at least you would yeah. know that, that he knew that. Right. So, oh, yeah, he I'm knew I loved Joseph, him. You're no? you know, okay. Oh, okay. There we are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe that's enough. Right. Um, I, I'll speak to something about the why, the why comment or, or statement. My mom, when I first started this show, you know, as I've said it a thousand times in a hundred episodes now, that we started with stupid, funny stories. And, and, you know, I thought that was how I was going to get people's attention and, and whatever. It just wasn't a thing. Mom said, when you find your why, the rest will come. And then mm -hmm. we did, right? Episode yeah. 18, we, you know, my, my niece or my cousin, sorry, her passing on the first Memorial Monday. And it was then that we found the why and how things have changed since. Right. Mm -hmm. How like, you know, and it was, it was the why that is when I found that, you know, everything changed. And, you know, now I'm, I'm quite proud of the fact that, you know, we help people day in and day out with this. So it's kind of cool. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, let's, let's get to Wednesday, Lisa. Oh, sorry. Sorry. No, I was just going to say that, that why, you know, and it, it, it was, you know, when she said, come home, dad, I, I love you. That, that was oh. the why for mm -hmm. me. Oh. Um, that must have been, yeah. I can, oh, oh, it gives me goosebumps and, every time you say it. Yeah. And then I thought, well, if, yeah. if after through all this, she could still love me, then, then you know, maybe, maybe I can give it one more shot and learn I'm to kidding. love myself. Yeah. And uh, like you mm -hmm. said, find your yeah. why and the rest will come. But here I am. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. You know, and I, my, my brother is just recently 90 days clean and, um, you know, he actually Yay. texted me on his 90 days, yeah. you know, he, he, <laughs> you know, which I thought was really good that he wanted to acknowledge that or celebrate that. But he, ha he shared like in the last few days that, you know, three months ago, he said, I really didn't believe I could do it. Like he said, I, I, I had given up on myself. Um, but he said, I, I hadn't given up on my kids. And, you know, and he said, so there was a why there. And then the other piece of it is he said, I didn't believe in myself, but all the people who mattered to me were, say, were, were there saying they believed in me. Yeah. You know, that's so and, powerful. Yeah. 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 Crazy, right? Okay. Yeah. Love. All right. Let's get on to Wednesday, Lisa. And I'm going to ask you to do a shorter Wednesday than usual. Yeah. <laughs> if we could. <sighs> <All right. laughs> Yeah, yeah. but Wednesday fair. was neat. Wednesday was interesting, and 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 I'll I'll kind of bring that one in. We did um, Michael Power from London, England, and Chemsex. He's a Chemsex therapist. Well, he's a therapist who specializes in Chemsex, uh, and and of course he's a member of the LGBTQIA plus community. 
And that was neat. You must have found that somewhat interesting, Lisa, from a just a purely professional perspective, right? And, yeah. And, and how all that works. Oh, so I'll, I'll let you go on from so there. Interesting. Yeah. So you know, it's, so I've I've spent some time working in um, in addiction centers in the states. Like I've, I've mentioned before, I spent some time in Hazelden. I also spent time in South Africa. I, I worked in three different treatment facilities in South Africa at one point. Um, and you know, in all of that, I've met one person in residential addiction treatment who was there for sex addiction. Um, okay. They were not, it was not chemsex per se. It was just, you know, an addiction to pornography and to sex and that kind of thing. And so it's, it's definitely an area, like I feel very, I, I lack a lot of knowledge. And so getting to listen to him talk um, was incredibly fascinating. I think for me, what, what helped my brain kind of wrap itself around the concepts a bit was when he talked about eating disorders, right? Um, you know, he said that similar to eating disorders, we can't tell people with an eating disorder not to eat or, you know, I mean, we all have to eat. It's a basic necessity of life. So what do you do when somebody has an unhealthy pattern with food, like an anorexia or bulimia? And he said, well, it's all about creating, it's not about taking it away like we, we want to do with heroin or we want to do with meth, but it's about trying to create a healthy relationship with food or with sex. Um, and so, I mean, as far as putting it into practice, certainly would not, um, you know, say I have any skills in doing so, but when he described it that way, it, it made a lot of sense for me. Um, and I, I really liked the conversation that took place between him and Ryan about, right. um, yeah, and and particularly when they were talking about um, people within the LGBTQIA plus community, um, you know, and because Ryan came at it from. <laughs> I thought I shut um, this off. That's okay. <laughs> But so Ryan was sort of talking about it from the perspective that people within that community, you know, they live with this sometimes, right, a secret of their sexuality or just the constant stress of having to come out on a regular basis to people. You know, you don't walk around outside right. and, and people don't look at you and go, oh, well, I know you're a member of that community. It's like you can't tell that by looking at somebody. Um, but then I thought it was really interesting because we've heard sort of that perspective before, you know, from Ryan and then even from Scott and, and other folks in the past few weeks. But I loved when Mike brought in that, you know what, the thing for him is that if you look at younger people in that community now, mm -hmm. more families are more accepting. So he kind of challenged, is it really the stress of coming out? Is it really that their families shame them or don't accept them? And he said, like, he sees less of that. And so to him, it's like, we need to look outside the family unit. Like, this is like a larger societal problem, you know, um, more so than something coming from the family. And they've sort of talked about how there's still so much prejudice out there, but that it's it's almost more sneaky, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And I just thought that was like a unique um, angle to mm -hmm. to look at that from that I had never really thought about, but it made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And then the last thing I would say is I also, I, I something I wondered and like, I, I wish I could have asked him, but you said you'll have him on again. Maybe you can ask him. Oh, is I often yeah. wonder. I'll probably be on with you realistically on the weekends here. So okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perfect. But I wonder a bit if he finds that people within the LGBTQ community, do they have 
a greater aversion to the 12 step program. He did talk because about that. of the religious roots. Did That's he? Exactly. So he did. Yeah, he did. He mentioned okay. that about the religious roots specifically. Right. Yeah. yeah. So to somebody in that community, quite often the very mention of God or anything biblical would be yeah. somewhat traumatic, right? Because of, because yeah. of God, the, the shame that would have been put on them, you know, right. in their days, Bye. both before and after coming out. Right. So, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, that and, it was a it was a fascinating episode for sure. Th- to hear that in, in what that's done for me, a combination of that, and you know what, hey, it's a great time to talk about this real quick. A combination of that dynamic, and with you and Mike from from last weekend, mm-hmm. um, th- those 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 two conversations now have really opened me up to making room in the show for for more of that for one professional mm-hmm. to another, and it's just speaking about the different modalities and and you know ways of handling things and it i think there's an appetite for that and, and i think beginning next weekend is kind of when we're going to start doing that how we actually format that is still a conversation to be had but to have you and mike power or mike and and ryan or whatever combination mm-hmm. of these things happening throughout the week i think that's a, a really powerful thing and, and when ryan and i spoke about it i said there used to be anything to do with therapy anything to do with mental health the, the stigma we've I think as a society, we've kind of, we're, we're doing a lot better, right? We still got work to do. So, but with that, with that, with that openness about it comes a curiosity, mm-hmm. right? And, and about how, how do these people do this? How do you do your job as a psychiatrist? How, you know, him as a therapist, I I'm really excited to bring more of that to the show. And I think, I, I hope it plays well if I'm, you know, if my intuition's yeah. right that way and you know, it'll help bring in some people. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, interesting. And I think too, like sex addiction, like I just feel like it, it's so complicated because as we, as I mentioned before, I mean, sex is a natural part of life, you know? So yeah. it's like when the thing you're addicted to is something that you can't abstain from. I mean, I guess there are some people who abstain from it, but again, unless you're going to, you know, go the, go the life of a monk or a nun or something, it's like for most people, sex is a normal, healthy part of your life. So trying to take something that you know, has gotten to a point where it's out of control or it's not healthy anymore and trying to keep it in your life, but within healthy constraints. I, I think that's, it adds a whole is, other layer of complexity. It really does, right? It really does. I never would have, yeah, I never thought of it that way until you mentioned it, but absolutely it does. Yeah, like I, okay. I don't know if it's the same, but could you imagine, Chuck, if we said, well, no, we want you to go smoke crack, but we want you to limit your crack use. Yeah, no, no. Like, <laughs> that's not this works at all. Let me tell you, right? Like, yeah. You know? Uh, what up? Um, oh, look at this. Oh, Crackosaurus Rex is back, right? Like, no, right? <laughs> that's not the way this works. Yeah, yeah. No, fuck. You know? No. I was, and I was like, yeah. the. Oh yeah, I was the worst. Part of my challenge though was, I didn't have to scrape by for everything. I just sold enough dope to do it, right? So I could actually maintain a five hundred dollar day habit for for years. It was fucked. Right. Yeah, yeah. No. Krakosaurus Rex is not a good person. We don't want him back at all. No, no, we don't no. want him back. None of this is happening. No. That's for sure. No, no, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's move on to Thursday with Melinda who, um, well, actually her episode will be airing this coming Tuesday. Um, her, her mm. kind of rising from the ashes episode. Just what a trip. Let's talk about Linda, Melinda, Melinda. Sorry. Yeah. Melinda. Um, yeah, she's great. Right. She's just so funny and charismatic and has so much like personality just busting out the seams, you know? Um, it was interesting though. Like, and maybe when I get to hear her actual episode, I'll see more of this, but I, I, 
I appreciated the vulnerability and the honesty in her talking about her PTSD diagnosis, you know, working in supportive housing as a support worker and, you know, having had sort of these three sort of successive people um, who overdosed and ultimately died. And I think in one case, she was actually even trying to resuscitate the person um, and how that, you know, led to her developing PTSD. Um, just because she is such a big bubbly personality um, that that sort of, it just really stood out to me that honesty and that vulnerability and the rawness um, of her sort of sharing that struggle, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, cause she's quite humorous in general. Um, <laughs> yeah. But hearing that was, yeah. You saying that right now, Lisa, and, and it's not, not everything's about me and I don't mean to, sometimes I feel guilty when I say things like this, but I think that's why her and I have connected the way we have because I, mm. all my life have been an alpha, right? Like, like a big time yeah. alpha. And then to all of a sudden not be right to, to mm -hmm. feel fear. Like you've never felt to feel like insecurities mm -hmm. to things that have like, fuck, right. What the trauma's done to me is like, it's, it's, it broke me. Right. So yeah. to hear her talking about it was maybe that's why that connection's there because I can really relate to that, mm -hmm. really relate to that. Yeah. Right. So yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Continue. Though. And I Sorry. feel like, you know, PTSD is, you know, I, I've, I've worked with a lot of patients with PTSD. Um, mm. And just to share this little snippet. So I, it was about two years ago now, I was in two motor vehicle accidents within about a month of one another. Um, in both cases, oh. I got rear ended. So one case I was sitting um, at a red light and there was a girl on her cell phone who didn't realize there was a red light yeah. and she plowed into the back of me. Um, and then about a month later, I was driving down the Deerfoot and, you know, you come near that Glenmore turnoff and the traffic can kind of back up really abruptly. Yeah, and yeah. I was, again, I was stopped, you know, rush hour traffic um, and a guy driving a pickup truck hauling a trailer, um, Ooh, you know, kind of came on to this stopped traffic and he was smart enough that he actually turned enough to try to pull to try to drive into the median instead of mm -hmm. hitting me full force yeah. um but it was really crazy because i i would say in general i'm not somebody who struggled a lot with anxiety i've not really experienced a lot of trauma in my life i've been pretty fortunate but after those two back-to-back -back episodes um i had more of what i would say what you would call an acute stress reaction it didn't evolve to ptsd but you i would you know, have a relationship now right? like i was having nightmares <laughs> i would wake up in the mm. night like feeling like i was getting hit every time i had to slow down or stop at a light like my heart would go and i was looking in the mirror and i was like almost bracing myself to get hit again and i remember thinking that I suspect it's 2% of what somebody who suffered real trauma and has developed full-blown PTSD experiences, but it gave me this little teeny window of insight into it. And like, it blew my mind because it was terrible. Like just what I experienced and it didn't last long, but it was absolutely terrible. And it's given me like a whole new appreciation for people who are suffering with PTSD. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, wow. Um, uh, you saying that, Lisa, and I, I got to give you some credit. You saying that to me says your patients forever are going to benefit. You, you being that empathetic person you are, you're, you're able to extrapolate yeah. that into their experiences. And 
I think you being rear-ended a couple of times was probably a really good thing for a lot of people in the years to come. You so, know? Yeah. 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 It's yeah. true. Yeah. It, and like, and, mm-hmm. and I would say pre that, I would have told you that I thought I was a relatively empathetic person and, you know, and I, I am somebody who often feels the emotions of other people. Like I feel like I, I experience things emotionally when someone tells me a story, like I feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that experience for me, totally changed my view on how how terrible PTSD would be um it really had like a huge impact on me um the other thing about that that episode um was just you know your your story (laughs) you need to write a book or make a movie or I don't know for for Joe's Uh, benefit and and the listeners is um Melinda's first appearance in the end, second appearance um, on the show, like actual second appearance on the show, um, as far as recording schedule went, she came on with Scott and I, and I got her to tell one of her crazy stories, right? So she told us a nut story last week on on Thursday with uh, Just a Tip Thursday. That was just fucking crazy, right? So <laughs> I, I kind of blindsided her in this one, said, hey, give me another five-minute story for this episode. And she's like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And so what we decided while she was thinking, I was like, hey, here's what we'll do. You come up with a story. I'll come up with a story. We'll get the listeners to decide which one was funnier, right? And you better be coming to fucking, you come to war prepared for this one, right? Because I got, I got the stories, right? I've got them recorded. I got episodes that I put away and took down. Like I've, I've been telling the same 20 stories for 30 years, right? So yeah, you want to come to this war, you know, come prepared. And well, oh, I, I can, I point out, can I point out some things yep. that you said in that story? It'll make people want to go listen to the episode. It was well, by all means then. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so he referred to this place that he had gone with a buddy as a no-name Chuck E. Cheese. Um, there's a Segway in this restaurant. There were Velcro walls. Um, at some point, there was a girl shaving her legs with a bowl of hot water. Um, there was man, man-sized hamster balls. Um, girls in their bras and underwear. Um, there was an indoor Ferris wheel. And then the next thing Chuck's knows, he wakes up underneath the Ferris wheel. And I was like, it sounds like a like an adult version of like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Like Chuck and the, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what's funny it's is crazy. I've got to be careful. I got to be really careful now. That's in your part of the world, Joe. That's no, in Winnipeg. Okay. That's where I was. Yeah, yeah, that was fucked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Being the no, only no, city no, no, in Canada any, that like no, compares to China, stories. right? You know? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, no, no, we're not going to try and do that right now. No, 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 that's not what this episode's about. Thursday's my one one day of the week. I never would tell, the, and I should say this as a qualifier, I would never tell these stories again, except that I feel like I've earned the right to now one day a week to have some fun, Yeah. right? So when we started it out, it was like, no, nah, this isn't what we want to do. This is not who I want to be. This is not me being, you know, the person that, that you know, it's, it's not me putting out to the world what I want to put out to the world. Now, though, I feel that I've earned it, you know, like you I, know, that I can tell I can have one day a week. Right. You know? and, and I think that's ahead, important, Joe. you know, because I, I'm, I'm just starting to get there. You know, I'm yeah. just starting yeah. to get there where I can laugh at some of the stupid shit that I've done in, in, in my addiction and that laughter. I mean, it's, I'm not going to lie to you. It, it's, it's been a tough couple months and Oh, I went yeah, out course, with my wife because um, you know she's an executive, and we went out and had dinner and, and a couple of drinks with some of her friends, her coworkers from across the country. 
and the laughter that night, you know, and mm. it got so infectious that I, that I couldn't help but laugh. I didn't know what the hell I was laughing at half the time. I mean, they speak their own language, but that night <laughs> I remember leaving the restaurant with her and I'm saying, oh my God, that, that was fun. And to just be able to have that again, you know, I, I, I was getting yeah. to that point, you know, in my recovery, kind of lost it now into the grief and then kind of coming out and just remembering that it's okay to make fun of yourself from time to time. Because, I mean, you know, as well as I know, Chuck, I mean, we've done some crazy shit and that's worth laughing right. at, yeah. but it's getting Damn to straight. that place where shame doesn't control yeah, you anymore. You're comfortable doing it. And, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And our, our baseline is different than Lisa's, for instance, right? The yeah. things that, and I, I think Lisa's, if you didn't already before, I, I mean, you think you're finding, probably thing, finding things funny you never would have thought by, by now after knowing us for this long on, on, you know, in, our, in our little group here. But it's different when you're, when you've been through some of the crazy shit, right? The things that we laugh at is mm-hmm. like it's addicts and assholes. There's another podcast. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like, you know, it's a, it's a totally different. You know, it's a totally different thing, and it. But we're allowed to. We're allowed to laugh. Yeah. And you know what? It, I I think I've I've earned the right to tell the odd story, even if mom doesn't like them, because she really doesn't like them. <laughs> I don't know. If like, yeah. <laughs> I think that sometimes the key word there is survive. You know, I've been through and survived. You know, mm-hmm. and come out the other end, yeah. and mm-hmm. taking that time mm-hmm. to reflect and hold and say, "Holy shit," and then laugh about it. You know, and <laughs> yeah. and, and, and and it just adds to more gratefulness <laughs> into where we are today. I mean, I'm very grateful for. <laughs> right, right. Um, that you just made me think of a meme that I that I created there, Joe, and I want to read it to you real quick because you'll get this for sure. Um, holding it up here, I would bet that if all the world's drug addicts and alcoholics sobered up at the same time, we could solve world hunger, the energy crisis, global warming, and figure out where the socks go when the dryer eats them. <laughs> Figuring out how to survive in the chaos that is addiction while supporting a drug habit is way harder than any of that nonsense. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. right. um, yeah. Some of the yeah, most yeah, brilliant yeah. minds, I'm telling you. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. One true. of the comments I got to that meme was somebody, so you think that drug addicts and alcoholics are the smart ones? It's like, well, no, but actually, now that you've said that, here, and I sent him like three links and it's to reply to his comment in whatever group that was to say, actually, you'd be amazed because, yeah, it's a stats kind of say that yeah, they are the fucking smart ones. If you want the honest truth, right? It's like, you know, yeah. right? oh, you know Lisa, you could probably speak to that, too. But yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Like, and again, just based on my own experience of, you know, patients that I've worked with. I feel like a lot of people that I've worked with who struggle with addiction, they're incredibly intelligent, often very artistic, very um, emotional, sensitive. Um, Yeah. These are some of the things that lead us there, I think. So, yeah, yeah. But all right, guys, um, I think we've covered everything we have to in the week, right? I think. Yeah. I think. Yes, we have. We have. Okay. Um. Joe, so anybody that happens to be in the Winnipeg area, what time is that tomorrow at the Forks? Uh, well, we, uh, like everybody, they'll be gathering there, start gathering around noon tomorrow morning, tomorrow. Okay. Um, I've got yep. Yep. Uh, yep. Red t-shirts uh, to give out, you know, um, some fridge magnets and lanyards and posters, post little postcards with uh, Harlan's story on it, you know, to just to give it more inflection. 
um, of yep, why we're, yeah, yeah, why we're doing that's, this. That's, you know, so that's beautiful. You know, yeah. give us an opportunity to hand out some of those, and we'll have a drum song and then uh, a prayer, and then the actual march will start at one p.m. Um, it takes us about an hour to walk where we're okay. going, and then okay. you know, um, and hopefully that uh, there'll be some leadership there, and then we'll have a rally and I'll lay out some of the things that I would like to see going forward. Um, in regards to changes in legislation, and that's another show that we can talk about, Chuck. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, sure I, yep. I think that we need to have uh, at, at our disposal to help uh, get rid of fentanyl. I mean, my war is on fentanyl. You know, if you want to do yeah. drugs, mm-hmm. you know, fine. I, that's you know, that's what the whole no thanks on good campaign is to give those ones mm-hmm. who still have a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, the courage and the strength. Uh, to say no thanks, I'm good. You know, be polite, non-judgmental, and with confidence that they are good without using drugs. I think with confidence is the real key on that. Yeah, yeah. with confidence. Yeah. So, Joe, can I ask a question? So, I mean, that sounds amazing, and I'm sure it's been a lot of um, work to organize all of that. Is that something that you see yourself being able to take to places other than Winnipeg? I'll take it to whoever wants me to bring it. I've made that commitment. Um, yeah. I, didn't cho- I didn't choose this, you know. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I, I am a creative. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm a filmmaker. Um, but maybe, you know, sometimes creator picks our walk for us. <laughs> and whether... <laughs> Whether or not, you know, we want, we, we choose the walk that's before us. Like, um, you guys mentioned it earlier, you know, I, I still get amazed sometimes at the, the fact that I still have my faculties, that I still have my health, um, that I still have the creative juices that I have after 40 years of heart abuse. Um, so to me, those are considered gifts. My creator has blessed me with those gifts. And our elders and our old people tell us that if we don't use those gifts in a good way, then we're going to lose them. And yes, losing my son was probably one of the most hardest things that I've ever had to deal with in my life. The hardest things that I had to overcome with even with my own thinking of who I used to be and how I used to handle situations like that. To looking at this new way and, and recognizing the gifts I have and the good that I can do within this movement, this campaign. And so maybe that's yep. the road that's being yep. chosen yep. for me because I didn't necessarily choose it for myself. So yes, going to other places, not a problem. Helping other know. people start up, not a problem. Um, my wife and I talked about this, that you know, getting into this, that this is where it could lead to. I know it's starting to trickle a lot across the country right now. I know it's certainly trickling in Indian country. And uh, so wherever it leads, we will go and we will spread the message and I will tell my son's story. His name was Singing Red Bear and I will sing his song. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? And I hope one day the I get exit to be song, one of them. Joe, name the song that we used for your son's memorial episode because we're going to use that one again as the exit song on today's. So Remember Me. A beautiful tune. and I just Remember Me remember by, me Fonda, by Fonda Wood. Fonda Wood, that's it. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, rather than me have to, yeah. So that'll be the uh, the outro song for today because, oh, what a beautiful song that one was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Hey, listen, that brings us to my favorite part of the show, and that is the Daily Gratitudes. 
Today's Daily Gratitudes are brought to you by Yatra Treatment Centers in Phuket, Thailand, where they know that addiction is the smoke and trauma is the fire. Learn more about this clinic run by clinicians, not a business run by businessmen at yatracenter.com. That's Y-A-T-R-A-C-E-N-T-R-E.com. All right, Joe, you got a few gratitudes for me today? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the day. I'm grateful for the blessed breath in my lungs. I'm, I'm grateful for the love of my children, um, even though they're hurting right now. Uh, I'm grateful for my, mm-hmm. my beautiful wife who has stood by me, believed in me, encouraged me, and helped me see again the man that I am when I couldn't see it myself. And um grateful for you, grateful for this show, grateful for the opportunity to have known my son and the years that were given to me with him. I'm grateful for those years. Yeah. And uh, grateful for you, Chuck. I mean, you reached out to me uh, when a time when uh, yeah. I was beginning to shut down and said, you know, come, let's well, have I'm a talk. Glad, I'm glad. Um, yeah. And uh, kind of started this whole thing off, you know, with, with uh, coming out and just speaking. So. I'm grateful for you. You do a great job. Thank you. Ah, thank you for that. And uh, we all here are, are grateful to you as well. And, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are. Uh, and for the final gratitude, guys, it's always going out to you, the listeners. Please keep doing what you're doing. The show is, keeps growing. And, you know, if, there, if there's an episode that you think might help somebody, whether it's a Monday, you know, for as a memorial thing or, or a family Friday, especially, you know, or, or Tuesday, because somebody needs to hear the story of, of somebody who's recovered. Please share it with them. And uh, if you're on the Spotify platform, comment, uh, ask questions, do all the things inside there. Rate us on Apple. Do all the things. Because every time you do these things, you are getting me a little bit closer to living my best life. And my best life is to make a humble living spreading the message. The message is this. If you are in active addiction right now, today could be the day. Today could be the day that you start that lifelong journey. Reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member, call into detox, go to a meeting, do whatever the hell it is you need to do because it is so much better on the other side. And if you are the loved one of somebody who's suffering an addiction, just take a minute to listen to our weekend ramble. If you could just take one more minute out of your day, use the words, you are loved. That little bit of hope, just like that again. so high feeling free remember me down the road hand in hand you and me Thank
comes up in the morning sky, there I will be. There I will be. Soaring with the eagle so high, feeling free. Remember me. You and 